Hello everyone, this is Jack. This is Ryan. And this is Chris. And this is another installment of The Only Commentary That Matters. Today we will be doing, well, whatever day you're listening to this, we'll be doing commentary for the first Ghostbusters movie. Since obviously we aren't doing this as uh, synced up with your DVD or Blu-ray or instant streaming, let's say, because <laughs> all sorts of memes, yeah, VHS, <laughs> if you're rocking it 80s style. Uh, we just want to get it so that you can coordinate with the timing of the movie we're watching as you're watching it. So we are going to start right now. It's paused on the Columbia Pictures logo, so we're going to kick it off here. So if you want to get to that point, either pause the audio here or pause your movie if it's already started, and we'll cue you in when the logo goes away and the first shot of the movie comes up. Eerie music has kicked in. And there we go. It's the outside of the library. And they're panning down. So hopefully at this point you're now watching it with us. Well, I think it's fair to kick off with... Um, well, first of all, let me say we don't really want to double up on content too much because since the first DVD release in 1999, if I'm not mistaken, and then following... Nine years later with the Blu-ray release, there was... No, it was 10 years. It was 2009. Really? Yeah, it was the 25th anniversary. This oh, thanks, Jackopedia. Yeah. <laughs> I'm useful for some things. You are. Jesus. For facts. All right. Shut up. My mistake. I thought it was 2008. <laughs> Nonetheless, uh, there's a filmmaker's commentary with director Ivan Reitman, writer-actor Hal Ramis, and I want to say director of photography. Um, I don't have the, <laughs> the box handy in front of me right now. I think it's a Laszlo... Laszlo Kovacs, yeah, I think. Nice. Yeah. Uh, he does it as And I know that because I have the poster in my room. So. Oh, well, there we go. Um, <laughs> Memorize that shit every here day. Here go the books. Wake up. If you're and still trying to watch this movie about six times in the past three weeks. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It hasn't been, gotten old. We even memorized the credits. <laughs> <laughs> well, not all of us have a poster on our wall. But anyway, um, that commentary is excellent. We're going to try to not double up an infant information from that commentary. Actually, I believe I'm the only one who's watched it with How that commentary. How are we commentary. supposed to know? Yeah. I've, yeah, I've, I've watched it with that commentary. commentary. <laughs> I watched it all the way through the commentary a few weeks ago, and then I've just watched certain scenes with the commentary, just some of my favorite scenes. And if you have the Blu-ray, there's an awesome viewing mode called Slimer Mode, which actually has uh, facts pop up on the screen, and kind of like picture-in-picture -picture video interviews with the cast and crew. It's actually really awesome, and there's a lot of information in there. That wasn't included in the just regular audio commentary. We're going to try not to double up too much information. I hope and not repeat common knowledge things really either. Oh, here it comes and the logo we all know and love and the music too, except for Huey Lewis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Huey Lewis loves the songs that made him an asshole of money. He's that's why. <laughs> well, no, he won. They settled out of court. Yeah. He actually he violated the. Uh, settlement agreement by mentioning the lawsuit period on the VH1 behind the music. Oh, yeah. Anybody know what this Vegman Burn in Hell is referencing? No. Uh, I read something about it. It's from TV. Carrie. Yeah, because it was Carrie Burn That's in Hell right. from the yeah. movie Carrie. So there we go. This is one of the, uh, such a classic scene, such a perfect introduction for Bill Murray. Yeah. I absolutely love this. It just shows Dr. Vegman in. In, in every way. In the uh, way I feel asshole like. glory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Our protagonist. Because this poor kid, he, he actually does get one right. 
as far as these uh, these cards are concerned. Yeah. And then you know, Bankman actually fucks him. <laughs> yeah. Which is hilarious and yeah. unfair at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, the, the hot blonde is getting none of them right. And, <laughs> and she is he, hot. He, he she tells is. her she's a psychic. She was Scott Bayo's girlfriend in Charles in Charge when uh, that show first came That's out of the air. That's not Nicole is it? No, it's not Nicole no. Eggert. He was one of the, the daughters. Or she, I'm sorry, <laughs> she was one of the daughters. Excuse wow. me. Yeah. Scott Bayo was desperate. <laughs> <laughs> he is now. <laughs> Nicholas Eggert. No. Uh, it was... There were two families who... Charles worked for, I remember, in the show. This isn't Charles in Charge commentary. No, but I'm <laughs> yeah. trying to re- reference the fact that, I, and I can't remember her name at all right now, but I remember I, I'd been watching Charles in Charge in reruns, I think, at the time when I saw this, and I was like, oh, that's what she's from. I know her from seeing Charles in Charge, so there we go. I love the white afro going on on this guy. I always thought that was funny. (laughs) Having grown up in the 80s, I always thought that was fascinating. He looks like a 70s leftover. He does, yeah. (laughs) He's still stuck in the 70s. Yeah, it's 1984. Disco's dead. And Welcome Back Cotter's been canceled. (laughs) (laughs) Good point. Oh, this really isn't his day. He lost his gum. He's getting electric shocks. (laughs) (laughs) He's getting a little tired of this. There was debate about during which shock uh, he was going to lose his gum. That's something they were figuring out when they were filming it. I mean, it's so funny. That sounds like such a bullshit like experiment. Yeah. The negative reinforcement on ESP ability. I will, Mister. That's so bankman. Uh, it is, yeah. So Bill Murray in every movie. voltage runs through your body. It's going to make you better at yeah <laughs> somehow through a playing card. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm pissed. Let's do this shit. Ladies and gentlemen, Jack DeFranco has just walked on screen. Woo-hoo! Yes. <laughs> Dan Aykroyd is playing uh, Ray Stance in this movie. And Jack DeFranco bears striking resemblance to each other. <laughs> I, I love that. Favorite parts. Yes. Always. Hour, <laughs> hour. One of the things I've come to appreciate about this movie recently was having watched it so many times the last few weeks, being going to the screenings where we were present and uh, chatting with fans about the movies and all that, uh, to watching it at home was <laughs> Bill Murray's facial expressions in so much of the movie are just hysterical. It's something you wouldn't pick up on like as a kid watching this, like that, like that little turn and the kind of like sneer. He's like, like ultimate cynicist. Bury the needle. Close on this yeah, he is. Throughout the whole thing, he's like... Especially in the upcoming scene, which you'll watch with us. It, the whole just expressions on his face. Just take a look at it. They're priceless. Well, his even body when, language and everything. It's, it's Even when Dana first shows up, though, it's hysterical. Where it's just like, yeah. she doesn't believe in any of this. That's okay. I don't either. Well, I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> like, he very rarely reveals his scientific side. Now, how did you two find out about Ghostbusters, let's say? Like, what was your exposure to it? Well, I was born, and then Ghostbusters came out, and then there were Ghostbusters. Is that how it goes? I think that's how, yeah, because Ryan, you were born a couple months before this was released. Yeah, I was born at the tail end of 83, and this came out in 84, so I was not cognizant enough for the release of this movie to really... 
Oh, Ryan speaks and the hero comes on screen. Yeah, yeah, Egon Spengler. Yeah, yeah. Because just like Egon, Egon for Halloween, like three Halloweens in a row. Because the women were interested in your epididymis, <laughs> clearly. And fun. <laughs> yeah, that'll be. I'll save that for the second commentary. Yeah. <laughs> what, what my understanding of that joke was. Oh, okay. Yeah, we'll <laughs> get to that. Or lack thereof. <laughs> but my introduction had to do with. Uh, the cartoon, because obviously I was born in 81, the cartoon came out around 86 or so, and I watched the cartoon Saturday mornings and was really surprised to find out kind of how unlike the cartoon characters, the actual actors looked, <laughs> especially because Egon has brown hair and not blonde hair. Yeah, I actually and, watched uh, a documentary about that on YouTube a couple of days ago. Really? They had a 1989 documentary where they interviewed Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis. No. About their opinion uh, on the cartoon and how the cartoon came about, are you how they all kind of looked the same. How Dan Aykroyd's like, oh, I guess I'm a fat one. Yeah. <laughs> well, they had to make them distinguishable. I mean, you have a cartoon where there are four guys. Each one needs to have his own visual. And they said they didn't want to make them look, look too much like the actors in the animated series. Yeah. Well, that makes sense because the animated series stands alone if you haven't seen the movie. I mean, I, as I said, watched the cartoon before seeing this movie. I did see this one first and then Ghostbusters 2 afterwards. There's the but... body language. I just don't need to be here. Yeah, the sulky <laughs> yeah. kind of like, I can't believe what I'm are we tagging doing? along for this. Yeah. <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> and he's, Pete Venkman is the most, oh, <laughs> one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie. Yeah. Which, he has the majority of the in-your-face comedy in the movie. And then there's Egon, whose comedy is so understated in most of the scenes. Yeah, because he doesn't laugh still, or smile in the whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> Which in and of itself is, is charming. Yeah, I <laughs> love that. <laughs> and this was an idea Ivan Reitman had on his way to, uh, I believe, filming that day. He just thought of doing the symmetrical book stacking. Yeah. Well, a lot of the scene was improvised, wasn't it? The, the best Most of the dialogue in the, the movie dialogue. was, was improvised, yeah, yeah, because everybody praises Bill Murray's ability to just improvise a line. Yeah. So, as I understood it, they pretty much filmed everything. They, they kind of, some of the time, shot the script, and some of the time just used, like, the framework for the dialogue, and everybody just kind of went off on their own there. Like the drill of your hope. Drilling a hole in your head, like yeah. that would have worked if you hadn't stopped me. Yeah, like Egon's response, surprised. yeah, was not written in the script. It yeah. just came out. Come on. And both of these movies are so dialogue driven. I mean, that's that's really the best part of either one. Yeah, exactly. And special yeah. effects and you know, this was the dialogue's where the comedy cool, is. But, yeah, like, this, I mean, visually, it's fun too. Yeah. Well, this is an era of special effects when it was coming into their own. If you yeah. just we've oh, yeah. past Star Wars, we've gone from Superman and a bunch of other big epic. Sci-fi hits like Raiders of the Lost Ark, Jaws. This is Jack's just listing all his favorite movies. Yeah, along yeah. With Ghostbusters, yeah. Star Wars. He's like, here are my other four favorites. The Ghostbusters at number five. Well, anyway, and if it wasn't for all those other movies, we wouldn't have Ghostbusters. And that's why they're all great. This is the first attempt at a sci-fi <laughs> comedy in that era with special effects were just reaching their well, their new peak. Yeah, and a buddy comedy. It's well, so it, un this is this is like a Saturday Night Live old. One of the first Saturday Night Live cast comedies. And wasn't it based few. on something that was written for Saturday Night Live? I, I was reading. I think so. IMDb. Yeah, Dan Aykroyd wrote it for wrote it for Saturday Night Live, and it just never materialized. It never materialized. Yeah, he there. he yeah. wrote it with the intention of it being oh, him and John Belushi. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Alongside kind of the Blues Brothers and all that, and obviously John Belushi died in the intern period. 
And John Belushi was supposed to play. He was supposed to play Venkman. Venkman, yeah. Right. Well, Harold Ramis had a lot of success leading up to this movie. He was in Stripes. He had. He was a co-writer on Animal House, I believe. Also, he was. Well, that's the yeah. funny thing that that shows how strong a movie this is. Because Harold Ramis was a successful director in his own right. Because he directed National Lampoon's Vacation before this. Oh yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, the guy was already successful as a director, so for him to step into this as an actor, and, Bill, and as one of the principal actors as well. With Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd, who at the time were two of the most popular comedians in the country. Oh, Bill yeah. had hit movies, Caddyshack, Stripes, Meatballs, and Dan just come okay. off of Saturday Night Live. And, and had Trading Brothers, Places. Trading Places, yeah. yeah. I know exactly. So, I mean, two of the most popular, and then... I guess you can say in a way how Ramis kind of got that extra. Well, he got a bump, I think, as well, because since Ivan Ratman directed Stripes, where Bill Murray and Hal Ramis were the two lead actors, oh, first big scare. This used to freak yeah. me out as a kid. Yeah. I used to love... I, I just noticed that Egon's just walking backwards, like, yeah. like trotting backwards. I Actually, watched that recently. Harold Ramis had one of the funniest parts in uh, Airheads. Do you remember his cameo in that? I don't. As the uh, supposed record producer that tries to convince uh, the band to come out of the radio station, and they ask him a couple of questions, and they're like, "Who side are you taking the uh, Van Halen David Lee Roth split?" And he's like, "Van Halen." He's like, "He's a cop." <laughs> he's like, "No, no, give me one more chance." It's <laughs> um, like, "Who would win in a fight, Lemmy or God?" <laughs> Trick question. Lemmy is God. Lemmy is God. <laughs> and then he turns out actually to be a cop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Taking his badge off. <laughs> Back to the library, and he was fat then. Well, that, yeah. at that point, in after, right after Ghostbusters two, he ballooned up because even Groundhog Day, and he was huge in that. The scene. Well, so he was the doctor in Groundhog. He was the doctor. He was yeah, right. Yeah. But um, and what was that? 90, 93. 93. Yeah, but he directed Groundhog Day, so yeah, he yeah. was behind the camera more or less. He didn't have to worry. Back to the library scene, though. That's one of the early scenes I can remember. Of the earliest memories of Ghostbusters because I again watched the cartoon first and saw the movies. I actually think I saw the second one first because I was I was born in eighty five and by eighty nine the movie was a phenomenon. The second one had come out and we'd rented it on I tape in my house. But uh, I remember seeing I had little picture books. As a kid, little sticker picture books, and I remember the library scene very fondly, and I loved that, especially after I saw it on VHS. I had the, I remember I had the book for the second one. It was just like a a kid's version of it. It was just like mostly pictures on every page. Golden book ones. Oh, I didn't have that one. I had one that I got at like a book fair for like three bucks. It was just basically a photo on every page from the second movie, and beneath it was like a little caption, kind of describing what was going on in the movie at the time. I had uh, this uh, book that was based on the cartoon, a real Ghostbusters cartoon. It was this nice uh, hardcover edition of it. I think you it still have like that going downstairs. downstairs. Did you really? Yeah, it's downstairs in your basement. Yeah? Yeah. How do you know? Because I walked down in your basement. <laughs> and the Ghostbusters book was just He broke in. Yeah, I saw it. It says real Ghostbusters on the bottom. Where'd you see it? Is that Are we stopping the commentary for this? No. <laughs> I got a great idea. Let's go back to the commentary and you all can go fish in Ryan's basement later. <laughs> I love the approach they took with this movie, though, where they show everybody, like, before it got started, they show it as them just working together and then building this business together. Like, I love that they show them growing it from, all right, we just got fired from our jobs to... Oh, you would have to in order build it together. for a story to flow. You'd have to have some sort of... They can't just be Ghostbusters. Well, the original idea was just to start off where they were already in business and they were different branches of Ghostbusters throughout the country. That was the original idea Dan Aykroyd had. 
which mm. is just to have. And as this develops, there's very little place. explanation of certain things, like how they got the proton packs. Yeah, which they never refer to in this movie as the proton pack. Yeah, they never refer to it until until the second, until the second one when when Egon refers to it as. Uh, you know, I, before we go any further, I suggest we go back and get our proton packs. Yeah, the second one. Which is because they were already called yeah. proton packs in the, obviously, in the cartoon. <laughs> I love that. I think that's brilliant. It's <laughs> free cell phone right there. Yeah. He has like a brick that's a calculator. Jackie looks so much like him in this scene. I do really the, do. The I take so much great pride in looking and like Dan Aykroyd. And his character, too. Just his personality. His, his like childlike you, enthusiasm. As you'll see you in like a coming lost scene. twin brother. Well, son, maybe. <laughs> okay, well, let's say for this year, a twin brother. <laughs> They're in their early 30s. <laughs> And now, this was filmed this scene. This is in Los Angeles, inside this. The exteriors were done in an actual firehouse in New York, which you can still go to. It's still still standing. But it was built sometime in the early 20th century. This is all Jack, this whole scene. Yeah. And the interior was filmed in California. Right? right, they found one in Los Angeles to film it, which is funny because since New York is such a character in the movie, and it really is. Although I'd probably say the was... opposite of Bray because there's spider webs everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever, he's going to fight ghosts. It's, it's yeah. fine. He's not, he's not worried about spiders. Small potatoes compared to the stuff they're about to encounter. Mm. Those little spuds. But anyway. Now, what, do you, what do you think of the transfer quality of this? Honestly, from this angle, it looks very now. good. Well, we're, and I don't think it looks bad, but for some reason I thought it was... You see the outline of the building, so in HD, and you can see the... Yeah. You can see the optics where they added that yeah. statue in. Hmm. We're watching it on the Blu-ray. I think I may have said that at the, you know, at the top for of this. Film, again, this is another film that... Stop opening everything with again. I'm going to electrocute you every time oh, you do that. Shut up. <laughs> I have movie facts. <laughs> yeah, but uh, the word again is nothing to do And there's Sigourney Weaver. In all, in all her luxurious glory, in all her cheekbones. Now, between five years before this, she was an alien. What other movies was she in between? I know, Chris, you're more no comedies. That's why she actually had to audition for this because they were hesitant to have her do anything comedic, and she'd done a lot of theater, so she was like, "No, I can do comedy." And she actually, in the audition, got up on a chair and started acting like a dog. And Ivan Reitman was just so stunned that this there's this beautiful woman just acting like a dog in her audition. And Alien was a hit, so there was no. Well, between well, this movie I think gave her a bigger boost in her career. Again, she went after this. She did Aliens. She had Girls in the Mist, Working Girl, so many movies. Oh, definitely. Between that and eventually Ghostbusters too, at the end of the decade. Right. And then Rick Moranis, who was originally supposed to be, uh, I, I should say, the character Louis Telly, they originally approached John, John Candy with. Yes. And he wanted Louis to have a German accent and German shepherds, which they thought would be a little weird because yeah. and that was his, the dogs that attack, uh, obviously, Dan and Louis. No sense, that was his deal breaker. Like, yeah, they, like if I, he if wanted to have it this way. Yeah, he wanted to alter the character, but obviously, Harold Ramis also knew. Rick Moranis, and Rick Moranis was just okay, all too excited to do later, it. Huh? Yeah, Rick Moranis was one of my favorite actors as a kid. I loved Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I loved <laughs> Little Giants, Little Shop yeah. Horrors, Spaceballs. Oh, yeah. Rick Moranis was everywhere in the 80s, and now he's nowhere to be found because he's essentially retired. I love his commercial, too. It's so... It's so cheap. As the, as the oldest one here, yeah, exactly. It looks like... 
one of those commercials you saw. Hell, you see that on my nine network now. All these crappy commercials. Yeah. I don't know. I don't watch For TV. <laughs> yeah, it's, it looks just like I just I remember seeing commercials that looked exactly like that in the '80s. I mean, I'm sure they exist now. Obviously, Jack has seen them on TV, but I watched a lot of TV as a kid, hence the pale complexion. But. What would you do to Sigourney Weaver in this kitchen, though, Ryan? Oh, terrible things. Really? <laughs> yeah. It's all in the cheekbones, man. Is that what it is? Yeah, it is. I don't, th I don't think you'd be interested in her cheekbones so much as uh, southern regions. Oh, that too. <laughs> this was freaky. I still wonder how they do this. Yeah, I, I love that, all, they did this, that yeah. a lot of these effects, though, were practical. Mm. Like these days, they just have eggs exploding in CG. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, that they actually cook on the counter in front of you. Yeah. Those are some really gross eggs, all the bubbling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't eat those I've never seen that happen. <laughs> That's really bizarre. Yeah, the transfer quality is good on this for a Blu-ray. Yeah, especially at this angle. But it's, it's a not bad. Film. But, it's, no, but dude, I've seen... Uh, it's, sorry if you're not watching this on the Blu-ray, folks. Obviously, we're going to be a little, slightly specific to the transfer. But it's a little more pixelated than I expected. Oh, 80s effects. Yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's. I'm trying to think of a movie. All right, let's say The Exorcist, which is older than this. I watched that, and that looks brand new. Or The First Nightmare on Elm Street. They did such an incredible mastering job well, on the it. The problem is, I mean, could Columbia have had a. I mean, this was one of the, their biggest franchise in the 80s. I don't remember any other film before this that they had a big franchise, Sony Pictures, at all. They had close encounters. You don't remember because you weren't there. Oh, I know, but I, I know enough movies to know, like trace back the history and see what was a hit, what was not a hit, what was a franchise. Before this, I don't think there's any. They had any franchise. Okay, but let's fast forward to what you say is 2009 when the Blu-ray comes out, and they could have cleaned well, the it up. The a film bit could more. have been old. It could have been sitting in a whatever they mastered it from. It could have been just a damaged film. Dust could have been on it. They couldn't have. There's some things you couldn't remove. All right. Well, let me just say, like I saw. Recently, a, a trailer just for just getting the updates for like, Blu-ray and DVD releases that I get, and I saw one for Breakfast at Tiffany's, and that looks brand new, and that's fifty years old. It's... Oh, Janine, yeah. And here comes a little suggestive uh, emergence of Egon. Yeah, see, as as we get older, like we start to notice more and more things like that. That you know, little we're three, four, five years old. Now that's like, funny. Oh, see anything wrong with this? What he just said there, because he said he was responding to her, speaking about reading, and he said print is dead. And I always thought because he was coming up from under. Huh? That's what I always thought. He said print is dead. I always thought he said printer's dead because he's coming up from under the desk. I thought he was trying to fix the printer. I thought he wasn't even paying attention to her, and he was just like printer's dead. And that's why she was just kind of like, oh, that's fascinating. I always thought that was funny. And then when. It's like print is dead. Ow! People like recently I noticed it and they were starting to refer to it. It's more relevant now. It, yeah, now with e-readers and all that, of course. Mm. Uh, in '84, I'm sure I people were reading books. Me. I always thought he said Prince is dead for some reason, <laughs> like as if Prince had sold out or something like that. Like he's not what he used to be. <laughs> and I was I like, what, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> I should say for years I watched this on TV. We recorded it off of TV. I don't know. At some point, I don't even remember watching it at the time we we taped it on the VHS tape. How we rolled back in the eighties. So for years, that was the only version of this I saw was this cropped 
I don't want to say washed out version of it, but obviously the pan you're looking at yeah, you're looking at half the Generally, the actual frame. Because kind of odds are, what do you, think you know, this is 2011. We're recording this, so chances are people are watching it in a wi the widescreen format, the actual theatrical aspect ratio. <laughs> Yeah, these were. I don't think these were ever sold as full screen DVDs. No, they were. They're double sided. I got when I got them in two thousand one. When I got my first DVD player, I got the first two in a tube pack, and one side was widescreen, the other side was full screen. But these days, nothing gets released in full screen anymore. <laughs> Such a dedicated scientist. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, like that, like the visual. Well, just making a face like, look at this. <laughs> He's walking behind her. That's great. <laughs> Dropping his voice down. I'm going to sound accurate. For a while, they published a Tobin Spirit Guide yeah, as an official, yeah, as like an official Ghostbusters I would love item. to actually crack that book. I found it on Amazon. It was yeah. going for like $200. Someone had a copy well, I'm sure it. with all the... Let's talk about that for a little while. All the, with the phenomenon of this movie is they're re-releasing... Well, releasing newly updated merchandise for this movie. That has an, a, like an exclusive market. That we are feverishly... Yes, that Ryan and I have... <laughs> Given most of our money, too. Sadly. We'll talk about that as it gets close to the holidays, though. We'll do a whole show about toys eventually, folks. So stay tuned for that. That's right, boy. It's Dr. Bankman. <laughs> I love this scene, too, just because yeah. it... I mean, I love the whole movie, obviously, but this is just so clever. I remember it looks like guys a... coming to the house and, and, and doing this in our basement with one of these things. That's why I always yeah. thought it was so weird. I'm like, what is he doing? Like, <laughs> I, I don't remember no... what it was. Maybe it was like an exterminator spraying some kind of chemicals or whatever on the basement, trying yeah. to get rid of bugs or something. But <laughs> not that technical. I actually found it's a like replica a blood pressure of this machine. on uh, eBay. Yes, <laughs> I, which I didn't even it's know they made. Of it. I didn't even know they made it. Yeah, <laughs> and it was like an official authorized <laughs> counterpart, right? Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Yeah, back in the day, it's <laughs> great. <laughs> That's so. That was always one of my favorite parts. That line. You don't act like a scientist. No, a, uh, she's like, oh, what a crime! Like, no, yeah, nothing ever happened in there. <laughs> yeah, and as a kid, I never understood that either. It's one of those things that you yeah. don't get these. But once you understand, you're like, oh, that's fucking funny. Yeah, <laughs> it's so funny because you look at a movie like this, and not like there's an overt amount of sexual content in it, but just for but there's the... always those little quips where you're like, yeah, that's inappropriate. Oh, <laughs> easily. Pretty much yeah. every movie back Because this was a big it. family movie. You know? It was, but yeah. the, these days this movie would get a PG-13. If this movie came out right now... Yeah, it would be PG-13. In its day, yeah, it'd be PG-13. I love it. That is weird. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> the hell you say? <laughs> but yeah, this is something families went to. When we went to the second screening... Uh, this past October, well, a few short weeks ago, uh, Ryan and I were there, and there were tons of families coming in. Most of the people who were there to see it on the, the second screening, 90% of them were families. Adults, people maybe a little older than us or our age, bring in like, their little kids to see it. Or some people, like adults with their teenage kids, going to see it, which is great. They were riding around, and they were growling and snarling. And there were flames, and I heard a boy say, Zool. People who are, who are fans who are our age, some have children, and they're bringing their kids to see it now. I think so, but I'm sure. Yeah, it sounds similar to what I just said. 
Oh, poor Jack. She's so sarcastic in this movie. It's delightful. She is, yeah. She doesn't really crack jokes. It's more just her, her natural reaction to things. Yeah. She's always pissed off. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. If you have this guy coming in your house and charging you to walk around and not actually solve anything, you'd probably be pretty pissed off, too. This is so the funny. As, it's not even business anymore. Yeah, because, exactly. Yeah, at this uh, point. It, it's just so weird looking at it now where like, he's Man. known her for a half hour and he's like, I'm madly in love with you. Yeah. <laughs> like how creepy that must come off. She thought I was a creep. She thought I was a geek. Probably wasn't the first. <laughs> so odd. <laughs> I get it. No. I've got it just me or did her hair change? Just now. Yeah, her hair looks different. It looks poopier yeah, than it did before. <laughs> yeah, I'll they probably fixed it up oh. in between scenes. It could be. Pete Beckman, the guy who can get things done. Right. I wonder what makes him sick. I wonder. I wonder if you'd be interested in knowing what makes me sick. Right. I'll bet you're going to be thinking about me. Yeah. Where I'm going. I bet I am. No kiss. <laughs> I always thought that was funny as a kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love this no. gag. Poor no, Lewis, yeah. If we're running a drinking game out of every time Lewis gets locked out of his apartment. You had, three, you had three drinks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Oh, yeah. You'd be hammered. I'd get three doubles. <laughs> I was being sarcastic about getting hammered. Oh, I know. Pick up on it. Okay. Yeah. I love it that Egon's working on the, uh, the Neutrona wand while they're eating their dinner. And then they go out and use it. That's something that I never fully noticed, like yeah, what exactly he was doing for some reason. So it was a cropped out on TV. Yeah, <laughs> only on watching TV, it now on widescreen. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. It's like, really? These things exist? Like, I love that Janine's so skeptical about it, too. Like, she never comes off as being, like, like believing. Is it just a mist or does it have arms and legs? Yeah. Like, I just love how she's just there, like, like kind of a stereotypical secretary. I think that's great. And... The reason why we all love this movie so much... I never saw the video games there either. Wow. Yeah, the video... The, yeah, they're cut out on TV, and, dude. <laughs> yeah. But everything in, the, in, his, in both of these movies are so random. and A lot is just not explained, like how things come to be. Oh, yeah. And we, we love that kind of thing where they just... Everything just is what it is, and it's not explained. Yeah, and they don't. There's no explanation. Like where the, the audience the jumpsuits. Yeah, we're left them, to question. And wasn't it. the car like yeah. stripped down earlier in the day yeah. too? Where yeah. did they get all this? Somewhere <laughs> along the way, it got painted. There was a logo integrated into it. And what's all that crap on the top? Yeah. <laughs> what is that? Well, you never see the interior of the car really. You barely see it in the second one. In the second one, a little bit. When yeah. they're driving around, you kind of see Venkman like crossing his eyes at yeah. Ray's driving. <laughs> which makes him even more like Jack and as much as Jack we yeah. tend to make him drive everywhere yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just love him getting scared by that guy I love everything Me too. Yeah. and this is another one of those visual things where on TV when, when you see the pan and scan version it's just Ray and Pete, and then this dude in the middle, and you just Egon's completely cut out of the scene. <laughs> is he just the manager of the hotel, or is he the actual owner? I don't know. I never met him. Well, just... <laughs> well I have no idea what his, what his position is. Yeah. And this guy's brilliant. This is this is always one of my favorite uh, favorite lines, rather. Yeah. So, so cockroach up on twelve, <laughs> and I'll take the next one. 
This is one of those characters to to me that comes off as such a New York character. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I think these like someone wouldn't be that. Well, like the way the guys like dressed and everything. He's like right out of the nineteen twenties. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like the next one. He's like, they better not be on my floor. Yeah, exactly. Is it? And Panets can't. Here we go. I never saw Venkman. Or they would cut to Venkman. Yeah. yeah. In a really choppy way. Then Egon would kind of walk out of frame. Yeah. All you saw was Ray, and then you see Egon suddenly just back off to the right. <laughs> <laughs> I could just imagine people seeing this in theaters for the first time because there really wasn't something like this where guys are shooting electricity out of, <laughs> out yeah. of a gun <laughs> with a giant battery on their back. So audiences must have flipped when they saw this for the first time in 1984. And there's Bankman being the skeptic, just walking around like, uh-huh. Uh, who knows what we're like looking a, for? I look like a jackass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing now here? You can actually get the, uh, the proper replicas of the uh, proton packs for like $1,000 on eBay. That light awesome. up. Yeah. I'm in. That actually light up. Now that, that line, what the hell are you doing? That was <laughs> spoken by the, the actress, and then they used it in the movie because all these sparks and things are going off on the cart that she's pushing. And they didn't tell her about it because they wanted a natural reaction. Yeah. <laughs> so her reaction was saying, like, what the hell are you doing? So they, they dubbed it into the into the scene. I thought that was great. And this is actually filmed at the Biltmore Hotel. In New York or Los Angeles? Los Angeles. Not the uh, not the Sedgwick. Sedgwick is a phony hotel. Same thing with Weaver Hall at Columbia University. Columbia agreed to have them shoot the movie at Columbia, but they wanted to make no reference to the fact that it was Columbia University. Like, they didn't want any, any logos or... I guess any text stating it was Columbia University, and then Weaver Hall the layout was, of the place, though. Well, yeah, but but the point was that like they could shoot there, but they couldn't make reference to the fact they worked at Columbia. And Weaver Hall doesn't exist; that was just a fake flag that was made up. And then Slimer, being shown for the first time, who is never addressed as Slimer in this movie either. No, <laughs> no, I don't think until the animated series. Either. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the first time they called him Slimer. And then, then the show became Slimer in the real Ghostbusters. Yeah. And the actor who does the voice of every odd character did the voice of Slimer in the animated series. That guy, his name is Frank Welker, and he does uh, Nibbler on Futurama, just a bunch of random kind of animal sounds. He's the voice of Curious George in the movies and the animated series uh, that's on PBS right now. So that guy's been around forever. And, of course, the classic... Face off between <laughs> Slimer and Bankman, yeah. Dan Aykroyd used to say Slimer is uh, the ghost of John Belushi in that he was such a good yeah. yeah. Looking It's kind of perfect. Yeah. I think he can hear you. And it's so funny that he's got to through his mind. Oh my God, it's going to eat me. It's going <laughs> to. I just noticed that too, that it, it kind of like, they had a green light kind of coming, like getting brighter on Bankman as the camera pulled closer, like a Slimer's close again on him. I love how that knocked him over. <laughs> yeah. It's just so weird that he's that's... probably stunned and just like, holy shit, what is happening? Oh, he feels yeah. so funky. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> Save some for me. That gets a big laugh, and, and the screens we've gone to, that was one of them where 
people laugh every time. That's great, Ray. Save one for okay. save some for me. Yeah. We'll miss. We'll still <laughs> like what the hell? <laughs> it's funny too because sometimes the the interplay, both the visual, like the, let's say the the physical comedy of it, it, it with the movement and everything else with them, the three of them before Winston enters the picture, and then the dialogue as well. Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis claim to have taken like a lot of cues from the Marx Brothers in that respect, which I don't know if you guys have seen Marx Brothers movies, but it's absolutely true, kind of the way they bounce off each other. It kind of has that comic actually, trio feel going for I it. I think actually that's what um, a recent interviewer said. This is like an old school Marx Brothers movie. This is based pretty much off of that idea of the three of them. Oh, yeah. It very much is. Just having seen, I haven't seen all the Marx Brothers movies, but they're all kind of variations on a theme. But... <laughs> It's very true, kind of the, let's say, the, the bumbling three characters. And the, this incredible dialogue exchange and don't cross the streams. Yeah. What do you mean, bad? all life as you know it's stopping instantaneously, and every molecule in your body is floating at the speed of light. Total platonic reversal. That's bad. Okay. All right. Important safety tip. Thank you. <laughs> Even when it comes to destruction, Megman's just like, oh, okay, that's bad. All yeah. right. Just very casual about it. Yeah, yeah, well, the humor is so dry in certain scenes. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. I never noticed that as a kid that when he drank that, like, it would come right out of him. It was coming right out of him, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing that and thinking, why is he bothering? <laughs> like, then why doesn't the food come right out of him? Yeah, because I barely got him when he was eating too. just yeah, a few minutes ago. Something like Ray says that you see him up there panting. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so weird because he's not breathing. If he's a ghost, he doesn't breathe, but you see him like See, yeah. his tongue is his like, tongue is yeah, it's like whipping around like crazy. It's funny. <laughs> it's the game show host again. I always love this. <laughs> yeah, the, the table. I always want to do this. That yeah. Yeah. bit. Yeah, it's great. And this is great. This is the the learning on the job. Like, all right, let's hope this trap works. Yeah. That's what I really enjoy about this. Is okay. Uh, here's how we're gonna do it. Ready? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, they're actors, but it must have been so weird to play around like, all right, we're shooting these lights up at a ghost. Ready? Yeah. That's <laughs> one of the funniest things. That's another one of those lines where it's just, don't look at the trap. Look at the trap. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. You missed it. Slimer went in the trap. You could barely see. Yeah. That yeah. Little, it's just a flash of light. Yeah. yeah. I kind of like that they go out of their way to not really explain much of the science There's with behind it. Behind anything. Yeah. yeah. And that they all know how to use this equipment just all of a sudden. Yeah, without <laughs> without having okay, a, a no successful kind of test. Stream. Yeah. yeah, without a successful <laughs> test like uh, they said they hadn't had. We came, we saw, we that was always cut out on, on TV, on too. TV. Yeah. So for years, I didn't even know that line existed. Now, it was just until the doors burst open and the guy backs up saying, you see it? Yeah. Now this is something this 
um, in this scene. This is something that I first noticed just a couple of weeks ago when we saw the, the movie. In the <laughs> Me theater for too. The first time. We talked about this. When, yeah, watching uh, Egon put up the fingers for yeah, the price of when everything. Beckman's explaining to the hotel manager what everything is going to cost. He goes, yeah, the one. It's great. <laughs> I never, ever noticed that as many times as I've seen this movie until we saw it in the movie theater. And it makes me laugh, too, because that's... Looking at the two of them in a shot, Harold Ramis and Bill Murray, it just reminds me of kind of the, the way their characters played off each other in Stripes as well, which you guys haven't seen, but it's great. Or, Jack, did you see it? I know Ryan has I saw it years ago on television, so... So, way I need, I need to view it. <laughs> Stripes is, what, 81? Yeah. Yes. 81? Yeah. yeah. It's as old as I am. Yeah. Yikes. You'll love that movie. Something, right. sir. Yeah, it's, well, sure it's hysterical. Will, yeah. And Jack, you'll love seeing an R-rated version of it. Now, this guy wasn't an extra. He just wandered onto the set. These were all the people in the yes. scene. They're all the real person. Yeah, these are all actual journalists. But yeah, the dude with the beard just kind of walked through. He wasn't an extra. It was meant to stop. I love the covers, too. This is something else where they would pan back and forth between the action and on, on yeah, the, the newspaper and magazine covers. So you couldn't quite read them, so I always just get frustrated watching this as a kid. I'm like, I want to know what it says. I want to know what it says, yeah. <laughs> and Larry King shows up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you have to. While they were filming this, too, just to build, like, kind of before, before it came out, because it only started a year before it was released. Yeah. <laughs> it was written and, and filmed very quickly, which this, there's actually a security guy. You can barely see him chasing them because no one's allowed to film at Rockefeller Center. Wow. So they just started, <laughs> yeah. I love that. That, What's anime, that? that animated one. The yeah. Atlantic, the cover yeah. of the Atlantic, yeah. This is the first thing they ever shot for the movie. It's the three of them running. That's the first time they ever did it. Bill Murray landed coming in from France, and they put on their suits and just ran up the street. Yeah. All, all the shots of the three of them running around were very impromptu, but that little scene right there where the three of them are running straight up the sidewalk, that was the first thing they shot for this movie. It was probably like a promo shot or something. <laughs> Possibly, maybe, but these, as I was saying before, they, they were just they would drive the car around. Someone would drive the car around with the sirens blaring and everything else. People like, what the hell is that? <laughs> and that was always funny when the reporter. Asked yeah, him how is Elvis? Elvis? Yeah, and it cuts Ray's face off, and you wonder <laughs> if he actually has an answer to it because it looks like he might. <laughs> yeah, really. Like, uh, I have. Uh, and, yeah. Uh, <laughs> We had and to catch him and Jim Morrison for one. This wasn't on TV either. This freaked yeah. me out. But this is another thing that's just so Jack DeFranco. When you're a kid, you're like, well, what, what is she doing? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Like, what? Why is she taking his pants off? <laughs> was like, See, I heard that bump against the table. That's Jack thinking about this right now. It's like a paranormal <laughs> blowjob. And I love, too, they're all restless. Like, they're just haunted by the fact that they have ghosts. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Ernie Hudson. Yes. Where it goes without saying, we need extra help now. Yeah, easily. And Dan Aykroyd wrote this part originally for Eddie Murphy, who did Beverly Hills Cop instead. Which made sense, because yeah. obviously it, it's the movie that really, really made him a star. A leading man, anyway. Absolutely. But the, the dynamic, I think, would have changed a lot. And Eddie Murphy would have been totally underused yeah. oh, totally. in this part. Because Winston's obviously the layman in everything. He's, just, he's not a scientist. It would have turned into an Eddie Murphy movie. Possibly. Uh, well, I mean, at that point, Eddie Murphy had always played off of somebody. He was in 48 Hours, where it was him and Nick Nolte. He was in Training Places, where it was him and Dan Aykroyd. But he's he had he the lead, though. I mean, he wouldn't come in. He was one of the two leads, but in this case, yeah, he would have been part of an ensemble. Yeah. So it, it kind of would have been similar, but... 
That's okay. Eddie Murphy did just well for himself without Ghostbusters. Or, but obviously yeah. this and Beverly Hills Cop are the biggest, or the highest grossing movies, rather, of 1984. Yeah, it was until yeah, Beverly, he had a six-month streak until Beverly Hills Cop came out. <laughs> it's so weird. A lot of people assume that this guy ended up being Oscar's father in the second one and the yeah. guy she married. Just because you don't really, there's no definition of their relationship. No. I guess we're supposed to assume it was just another guy in the orchestra or an orchestra. Yeah, or somebody, because yeah. he seemed awfully, like, standoffish about her talking to Venkman, so who yeah. knows. But she makes a date with Venkman in this very scene. Yeah. So it can't be that she's so involved. <laughs> yeah. No, at least not at this point, anyway. Yeah, but it kind of leaves you to wonder. It's just one of those things that's not explained. Yeah. Just kind of leaves the audience to wonder, like, well, what is this guy? Because she mentions, and we'll talk about this in the second commentary, that I guess their relationship, had, well, you can imagine it probably was like a year or two, and then it started to fall apart because she wanted more from him than just a relationship. She, had, you know, she wanted marriage or something, so who knows? I'm talking about the orchestra guy, not Venkman. Well, no, I mean, as far as as far as the relationship that she and Venkman had after the first movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I know that, yeah, he... It's probably they briefly explained, she briefly explains how it fizzled. Which is so funny because I wonder what the time frame was between when he came and looked at her apartment and when this happened. Because with the montage, it seemed like they were busy for weeks. Yeah. So it's got to be the part of her is like, these bastards ripped me off. Yeah. <laughs> I paid them in advance, as Megman says later. Yeah, that's, uh, that's to look into my problem, because, yeah, and it nobody's like it friggin' was, done it yet. Yeah, possibly even months between the start of this and... This yeah, and scene. when he's meeting her, yeah. She's like, well, how long is this going to take? <laughs> and there's no explanation if there's been anything further since she first saw... You yeah, know, exactly, since she threw him out. Box, like, things keep happening. Yeah. And, and she's heard, and they've been on the news, so she knows that they're not just... A, yeah, exactly. Yeah, she knows they're busy, but I'm sure she's concerned about her issues. But then again... You can assume from the times when they show her that she hasn't seen anything and nothing's come up. It didn't show anything else appearing in her apartment in the montage, so she may have assumed it was a fluke or whatever it was moved on and they were now hunting it. So. This is where we store all the papers and entities and that we Now, for some reason, <laughs> Beckman disappeared and went to see Dana immediately after Winston was hired. And I guess it's assumed that while this is going on, well, right now, like, Venkman's talking to Dana, and then comes back. they're here, yeah. And then he comes back and is having a cigarette, and uh, this gentleman shows up from the EPA in the interim. And I love Just, that, that Ernie Hudson's character could have been anyone that walked in off the street and they're like, beautiful, you're hired. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're about the job. <laughs> Like, no interview, no... Yeah, interview exactly. In any way. It's awesome. I think that's great. <laughs> but yeah, see, now he's back, he's slimed, and he's in the suit. Mm. So it's one of those continuity things that, that people complain about, where it's like, oh, that doesn't make any sense, because Winston's hired. And then all of a sudden, Venkman's upstairs. They could have been there for hours, too. Yeah, but now all of a sudden, like, Venkman was just... Like, he looks like he just came off a job, because he's slimed, and he's got his pads on and all that. But yeah. he had his suit on before. He had just a coat on. So he could have went out for a stroll. 
he could have. Yeah, could have gone out for a stroll, Jack. Now, Walter Peck here, who's the uh, EPA guy, uh, William or William Atherton, his yes. name? Yes. He was also the annoying reporter in the first uh, Die Hard movie. Yes, and he credits Walter Peck as being... The kind of well, well, kind of the reason why he was able to get in a movie like Die Hard in that part yeah. where he was playing the bastard. Yeah, and people hate. He said many times in interviews, and it, it is in the commentaries and in Slimer Mode on the Blu-ray as well, where he talks about how people hated him oh, yeah. when they'd see him on the street. Oh yeah, just because yeah. they hated the character of Walter Peck. Yeah, yeah. exactly. His people were shouting at him. A bus full of kids went by one time. It was like shouting at him. Yeah. People used to call him dickless. He said it was horrible for a while. Like he bumped into Ivan Reitman a couple of years later and he was like pissed. Yeah. He's like, I can't go anywhere without somebody getting mad at me. Or calling me dickless or just like, hey, just because they hated that character. Yeah. He was He was also in the second Die Hard movie as yeah, well. Yeah, he was for a while. What else has he been in ever? Uh, he does. He's another one. He's done a lot of theater. He was in prior one of to Spielberg's earlier movies with Goldie Hawn, Sugarland Express. Other than that, I have no idea. Hmm. Yeah, I have no idea either. I just know him as well. He plays a good Patton. asshole, though. Oh yeah. Oh, he does. There may because, be none better. Yeah, because he was pretty ruthless and diehard. Go and interview his kids. He was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Threatening to call the INS. <laughs> yeah. And there's another line that was not in the televised version because. In the 80s, there were a lot of alternate scenes shot for movies, knowing they were going to be eventually shown on television. This is before something like HBO and Showtime really took off. And the alternate uh, response from Venkman there, which was shown in the TV version, was more of a calm response where he just says, you could get the court order and I'll sue your funny face for wrongful prosecution. Yeah. yeah. So I never knew like of that kind of aggravated response that he gave until seeing this on DVD when I was 19. <laughs> what about the Twinkie? That's wonderful. Now we got to talk. Is this partially a real building or what's this? This is a set that we're looking at right now. The actual building exists. You can see the matte painting yeah. behind it. And they, but they yeah. made a miniature version of it, right? And then they well, they optically yeah, added yeah. a couple of floors to the top. Obviously, yeah. the floor Daniel lives on, that whole set. Here we go. These dogs used to scare the piss out of me when yeah. I was a kid, too. Yeah, I, I was creeped out. The terror dogs, which is what the crew referred to them as. I never knew what the hell they were, except scary. Yeah. <laughs> and Gozer, too, as we we get close to the end. If they're listening to this, though, they've seen the movie. I don't think anybody's like, I'm going to watch Ghostbusters. Gozer was some kind of supermodel. It's like a Yuga, or, Yugoslavian or a model. model. It was Brigitte Nielsen. And why? Because yeah. the flat top? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I saw this again when I was right after Rocky IV when I was like 16. Yeah, exactly. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. There you go. Wilson. Yeah. She had some career. Not her. Yeah. And then she looked like fucking Leatherface in Flavor of Love. <laughs> I didn't even watch Flavor of Love. <laughs> no, the chick who was actually uh, Gozer was one of the nurses in the House on Haunted Hill remake, which was done in like 2000. That last remake really? with Bridget Wilson and Chris Kattan. <laughs> she was... Um, if anybody listening knows what I'm talking about, she was like a nurse ghost. 
You could see, and looking at the face, you could see the, the cheekbones. There we go again. Yeah. <laughs> Where uh, you could tell it was her, and she has kind of the shorter, dark hair. But yeah, she's like this, this tall, like lanky nurse ghost in House on Haunted Hill. Now, this is where the movie really sells itself as being fiction, because if she's a musician, she can't afford a place this nice. Yeah. There's just not a chance. She plays in an orchestra. There's no way. Especially because, as Venkman said, has a lot of space. So there's no way she could have all this nice stuff if her primary job is being a cellist. No chance. Even in the 80s. Unless she has parents' money. Oh, it doesn't sound like she's that close to her mother, though, because she says, I've been busy. Yeah. She's chatting with her right now, and it doesn't sound like she really wants to talk to her mother. Mm. Well, you never know. I mean, real estate back in the day could have been somewhat... Jack, it's a joke. I know. <laughs> I almost spit his water right into the microphone. This is creepy, too. They use like, yeah, Especially because you can see it lighting up like as yeah. it's panning around, so you know shit's going to happen. And then they have like the cloth door or whatever it is that they put in there. Same thing they used in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street when Freddy yeah, kind of comes down over over the bed. Similar thing. Which you can't really tell. It doesn't look like the face of the dog. It just, is like, you it, don't know what the hell is the pushing claws. the door. Yeah. Yeah. It almost looks like his face is pushing into the door. It's just like, oh shit. Yeah, and these <laughs> inexplicable <laughs> arms that pop up. Yeah. <laughs> that you never in see the most anywhere else. Places. Yeah. yeah, this freaked me out as a kid. Yeah, yeah this is. Um, Jesus Christ. And then you don't know exactly what happens because you never see what happens to her and Lewis when the terror dogs get them. Yeah. You can assume they're eaten or maybe they fuse together with them or you don't know. See, and the part that confuses me that one of the dogs crashes into Lewis's apartment, you know, at the party and everyone sees the dog, but then when it's chasing him through the streets and then corners him in front of the restaurant, none of the people inside the restaurant see the dog. Yeah. As yeah, he's well, slipping down the window, he, the dog's still right there in front of him. Yeah. But they don't notice, you know, what's happening. Yeah, they just... Well, what made Dana and Lewis kind of so special? As the, I know it's the story, these are the characters, but I mean, did they ever explain in the commentaries what, or some reason why they would be the ones who were chosen? No. Just just for living in the building. I mean, if this was a channel, it maybe it's just... If, if she lives in the corner penthouse of Spook Central and he's right across <laughs> the hall, there we go. That explains it. Now, all this has been one shot ever since, since they showed Lewis by the refrigerator, which is pretty impressive, because that doesn't really happen a lot in, let's say, a sci-fi movie. All this has been just one camera movement around the apartment. It's something they point out in the commentary, but I thought it was interesting, because it's, it's one of those technical things you don't really notice, and since we've done a bit of, obviously, video and audio work, <laughs> it's the kind of thing that that jumps out at me now, where it's something I would have considered. See, now it cuts away, but that whole thing, since Lewis was at the refrigerator pulling out the the pills was one long shot. And this freaked me out, too. Okay. I just love the line. Yeah. The dog. Clay character <laughs> comes bursting out of the out of the room. That's Casey Kasem's wife, by the way. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Huh. I mean, at the time it was. I don't know. It still is. But. And then, yeah, that, too. Just it bursting out of the door. It's just like, oh, God. Just with the, with the terror dogs alone and the old woman. Oh! <laughs> love that. It's a, a bear loose in my apartment. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he was wearing like red shoes too. Like, he's, he plays yeah, such an awesome bear, geek character. Cops like, yeah, some moron bought a cougar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now his mouth isn't moving this whole time. See? Oh, well, you, you, maybe you can't tell, but 
It's one of those things that was overdone. There's a deleted scene, actually, that was shot for the scene where uh, Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd are playing bums, and Bill Murray's kind of talking like uh, his character in Caddyshack, where they're having a discussion about, I don't even remember what it was, maybe New York sports or something like that. And obviously they're not supposed to be playing Pete and Ray, but they're just Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray playing bums. And uh, Lewis runs past them. They're like, oh, what's going on over there? Whatever it was, but they got dumped in for good reason. Didn't need it. And even this one, his head lifts up in, in front of him. It's like, holy crap. Yeah, that. Or I'm like, oh, just look at the neck and everything. It's like, that is creepy looking. You yeah. don't see the dog or anything. Yeah, but he just lands on the ground. Like, you see his fist is still in the air. It just dropped now. Yeah, but it's, I always question why nobody in that restaurant, they were looking, but they don't see the dog there. Like, No, but the, I mean, they don't like acknowledge him freaking out either. Yeah, they don't acknowledge that they're looking in that direction. It's just really weird to me. They grabbed him and dragged him away. And again, who knows what, what could have happened. I love that the cops in this movie, the way they talk, it's just like, if you listen to the old George Collin records from the 70s, it's how he imitates the kind of uh, Irish cops from the neighborhood he grew up in in New York, where it's kind of like, ah, some more, brought a cougar to a party, and uh, yeah, <laughs> saying that you do your job, pencil neck. Don't it, tell it, me how to do mine. <laughs> yeah. It, it's kind of funny how similar it sounds. Hello. Uh, there she is, Ryan. Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> That's a different look for you, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, she can have my key. Oh, and and let me at the same you, time, this always really freaked me out too. When she was like, "Well, this. she's possessed." Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, like, you don't think about it. Yeah, but it's it's great at the same time where it's just because obviously Venkman's probably more convinced of ghosts and all that other stuff now. Yeah, having been busted them for a couple of weeks. Mm. Yeah, yes, I'm a friend of his, and she lets him in anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. So if you're walking in the bedroom, sweet. In the back of his mind, he's got to be thinking, wait a minute. Which is so funny because you don't know. Obviously, she wants to <laughs> to get the key master in the sack, but there's no alluding to it really yeah. later on when Lewis shows up. Which, thankfully, that's an odd image. And right yeah. in the middle of all this, this obviously science fiction possession and all that, this is the comedy of Bill Murray's responses to everything, which are awesome. Is this a trick question? <laughs> like that. I guess the roses work, huh? <laughs> oh, the roses work. An odd first kiss for the two of them, though, to be while she's possessed. Yeah. <laughs> when you think about it. And this wasn't so in. Gozer worshippers were sex crazed maniacs. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was muted, actually. The in, inside of me was muted on, on TV. I never noticed what it was. It was just, I want you. And then I'm going, oh. oh, oh. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. That gets a big laugh, too, obviously, when people see it in, in the screenings. Awesome. The weird part is, why is he bringing Thorazine to their date? <laughs> is he going to yeah. date rape her? <laughs> Like because of how casual of a scientist he is, or, or let's say doctor, because he has the obviously PhDs. Yeah, I'm like where did, where does he have access to something like that? Yeah, exactly. That's Ivan Reitman's voice. Is it really? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just so weird that he would have that on him. He he's the same as the type because of how casual he is about 
science and everything else. Don't mind all that noise, folks. Ryan's dog uh, running around the house. <laughs> it's all good, though. This freaked me out a bit, too, her rising above the bed. Yeah. And this is something else, all practical. She was on some machine which, which spun her around like this. Like It wasn't an, an optical thing. She was actually... It wasn't a just... It, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a special effect. It was more like a, let's say, a stage effect. I mean, you don't see this at one part of her dress or whatever you call it that's always hanging down. So maybe something was going on behind that that they were able to just visually remove. But yeah, this like, obviously you could see, you know, it's, it's like a magic trick looking at it because there's nothing there between him mm -hmm. and her. She's obviously suspended in air. It's pretty groundbreaking for its time. Like I said, at this point, he's seen enough to be able to take this pretty well. Yeah, <laughs> clearly. He's oddly calm about it. <laughs> and hello, Vince Clortho. Yes. <laughs> I love that he's using these dog senses, The complete too. opposite of Lewis. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very much extroverted as uh, Vince Clortho. We'll just talk to anybody about anything, and then there's Lewis that has is like so nervous. Well, even Dana also, because she's so kind of quiet and defensive of herself, and then she gets to be this possessed, sex crazed maniac. Yeah. <laughs> that freaked me out as a kid too. Just the, the sound, the kind yeah. of growling noise, and the red eyes. The red eyes were always. Like, I remember that thing. I'm just such a, a wuss after this. And she's like, oh, stop it. Yeah, as a kid, I was like six years old. <laughs> it's easy to scare a six-year-old when mm -hmm. people's eyes are turning red and they're growling. Oh, please, this I, is one of my favorite lines in the movie too. I would only watch the cartoons as a kid. There was some because the first two freaked me out when I saw them when I was four or five. I couldn't watch them for years. What the movies? Yeah, really. Yeah, I could see that because uh, the I mean, so I saw Ghostbusters two came out when I was four years old. So. Seeing that as a four-year-old and watching the other one, it freaked me out a little bit. Where I'd stick with the cartoon as opposed to the live-action movie, so I couldn't watch them for years because I was freaked out. Huh? I mean, I suppose it's possible. <laughs> the dog is digging in the couch, folks. Don't mind the uh, the background noise. There's nothing buried in one of the cushions, but oh well. More of the more Janine flirting with. <laughs> <laughs> Colander's awesome. <laughs> it's just, it's great like when you look at it where they're so busy but they still have everything's very much like a like a homegrown business. <laughs> like here's a calendar of wires in it that we put on his head. And you see the projection of the dog's face in the oh, yeah. Yeah. Monitor. yeah, which is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> now all of a sudden Vince Clortho is an idiot. <laughs> Inexplicably. Yeah, it sounds he's, like... yeah, he's like, What's a coffee maker? What's a lamp? This is something he knows everything. Like love triangle too. Think about, well, if you think about, because I guess like Egon and Janine is kind of flirtatious between the two of them, and then in the second movie, you have Janine and Vince. Oh, that's one of those, yeah, one of those things that they deemed unnecessary. Ultimately, that yeah, pretty they much. always thought that something was kind of developing between yeah. Egon and Janine, but it never materializes. Well, it's more Janine is flirting with Egon, or even yeah. something like this. He doesn't seem to and respond to it with... much, but it's obviously like she seems to have a thing for him. Yeah, you know, yeah, which they explored a little bit in the cartoon. Yeah, they did do a bit of that, but then obviously, in between this movie and the cartoon and and all that, in, and he's in the second movie, how? Just like what? In, not now. He's not. He couldn't. He couldn't wait to get away from her to answer the phone. He's not into it at all. He's nervous. 
I'm here with Dana Bear. <laughs> and obviously, at the end of this conversation, it's uh, so funny that <laughs> the next time you see Venkman, it's daylight. It's the following morning yeah. when Walter Peck shows up and the grid is shut down. And it's, it took him that long to get home. Another one of those continuity things. Yeah, it's yeah. There are a few items where it's like, where did Venkman go? Did he just go drinking? Like, a woman I love is possessed. Yeah, you can see Janine's uh, definitely a bit more leaning toward Egon, but he seems to be very, he's all business all the time, so he's hardly thinking about her advances. I don't think he's consciously brushing them off so much as he's just on his own program. (laughs) This is really bold, too. Here the woman's passed out and you're kissing her on her neck. That seems a little odd. (laughs) Explains why he brought the Thorazine with him after all. And now we're going to get deep with Winston and Ray. <laughs> I love that. What does that even mean? <laughs> what? I love Jesus' style? Yeah. Like... Walking on water and uh, it's like letting the blind see. Winston. Oh. Well, Winston has to have something. They don't give him any kind of character development. They have to give him something where it's like, all right, maybe he's spiritual in some sense and now he's trapping ghosts because... I don't know. I mean, they wrote a whole background. The original scene where Janine's asking him questions, it's actually, it was written as he's listing off all his qualifications, like he was in the army, he was a weapons expert, explosives expert or something. He's listing off how insanely overqualified he is for the job. But then they flipped it around and turned it into like, it's this quiz of do you believe in da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And in the end, he just wants the, he just wants the paycheck. He just wants the job. Yeah, yeah. But so I they that, made it that seem was a funny like angle. he's just like looking through the want ads and he's like, hmm, Ghostbusters. Yeah, Ghostbusters or Home Depot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm a black guy. It's the middle of the age. Yeah. yeah. There's no affirmative action. <laughs> Could so. you imagine if you saw that in the want ads? <laughs> right away. <What>? Ghostbusters. <laughs> right away. I yeah. I think anyone would quit their respective job for. <laughs> still eerie for At me least when an I interview. see. <laughs> When I see the Twin Towers in, in movies, it's still for me. Yeah, it's like it's not eerie, yeah, but it's, it's just weird to see them. Yeah, there, there is. Very... It, it does feel like a, a loss. I used to drive by there all the time, heading to Hoboken. Just drive right along the skyline, going to Maxwell's in Hoboken to see shows or going to dinner. So it's, it's very heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. When, when you see them, it's like I don't know. It just brings a, a feeling of loss up, even though I didn't lose anything personally. We all had a, it was a whole horrible time. It was. Interestingly, the EPA doesn't have uh, districts in New York. They have regions. So that's that could be considered a continuity or a flub of some sort. I've seen TV. <laughs> the EPA is always made out to be the villain in every single movie that they've been involved in. That's because they're a bunch of hippie fucks. Yeah. Is that right? And I can only name two. I can only name Ghostbusters in the Simpsons movie. Or the EPA or evil. Oh, well, otherwise you don't hear about them, so yeah. Yeah, can't be that bad. <laughs> Sounds like one of those made-up organizations. <laughs> it really does. And, like, nobody takes the EPA seriously in either film that I just mentioned. Of course, yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, in this case, they obviously have some clout if he goes in there with a Con Ed guy and a cop. That's another company that just disappeared. Con Edison just... Yeah. 
I don't even remember when they were, I guess, absorbed by somebody else. But I remember I just Con, Con Ed commercials too. Smelling Egon's arm. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like he, he knows all this stuff about about Gozer, obviously, and he's like rattling off all this information. But then all of a sudden, he's like a, a bumbling idiot. He just seems harmless. Yeah. Now it's my turn, wise ass. And it almost seems like Peck is doing this just to be vindictive, not because he even cares all that much about what they're doing. Yeah, I just think so. Just because Venkman is fucking with him. Like he, obviously, because yeah. he wants him arrested, obviously. Yeah. To, he wants to down. make a name for himself. Mm-hmm. It's and just so organization weird. Because there's nothing better... There's nothing better to do. Yeah, until there's something going on. Until uh, there's a hole in the ozone layer. Yeah, until Springfield, there. USA has a problem years later. That's <laughs> <laughs> <I love> that. <laughs> That's the first time I ever heard that word. Yeah, I realize it's a random sort of fact to mention. It as like a bookworm or a nerd or yeah, pencil neck as like a <laughs> yeah. pencil pusher, like that kind of thing where it's like your your suit basically. Yeah. Uh, uh. Yep. They thought about having in the movie what it looked like inside the grid, which they obviously explored a lot in the cartoon. But. Effects wouldn't have been up to par to do that. Well, there's just no need. There were no ghosts who they trapped throughout the movie. And you were going to see them get out anyway, also. True. Well, there was no, there's no story in there. It would just be, it would just been a, something visual to add to the movie. Even in the second one, it's not like they're trapping specific ghosts where they play some role after they've been caught. They don't. And they don't have any motives of revenge where the ghosts are collaborating to like come out. And yeah, it's like a gang. The most revenge you see is when after Ray shoots at Slimer, then he slimes Bankman. That's the most revenge you can see from any ghost in this film. Pretty much. Who knows where the hell they were coming from? That they just got back because it was yeah. it was the middle of the night. Then all of a sudden, it was getting brighter out as they turned the radio on. And I got so funny though, because Venkman didn't really burn Peck that badly in that during that exchange. Yeah, I mean, he's just an asshole. Yeah, yeah. exactly. He's just snobby to him. And and another one of the best lines in the movie. Yes. I love that Egon is the one who just flips out because he's always the calm, centered one, if you could say that. Just even-tempered, let's say that. He's even-tempered. That was another line removed from TV, which I never knew was there. So all of a sudden, it kind of starts... Like, wow, Egon said that? (laughs) Yeah. Growing up, it's just the the frame started kind of to the left. And you see Egon kind of lunge at him, and they just muted out your mother. Yeah. Just all of a sudden, you see... He got like gnashing his teeth and going for Peck's neck, for the pencil neck, as it were. He just says your mother doesn't really. It's harmless, yeah. Why they couldn't? Why they couldn't have somebody say your mother on TV in 1987? I wonder why that's you know if that's where that really started, like back in the days when people would just use that as a response, like your mother. Now this one (laughs) freaked me out. That freaked me out too. Yeah, it looks like there's bugs crawling on him. That I mean, they're not came moving. Out of the but... subway reminded me of a Muppet, also. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of the things about it where it's almost not scary. That's why the cab drivers almost uncharacteristically scary in that all the ghosts look cartoonish, like Slimer does, obviously, and all the other ones they, they just look like puppets. Even the Scolari brothers in the second one yeah. look like 
puppets. They don't look threatening, so it can be. Even though I wouldn't say it's a family movie, it's family accessible. Mm, it's like, come hither, look in her eyes, Ryan. You see this? Oh, I see it. The, yeah, the things you would do to Azul. We know. Those effects hold up, though. Yeah. Mm. The bursts of purple, whatever it is. Believe it. And that's not a stand-in. That's the Gordon Weaver standing there as everything's blown out in front. Uh-huh. Separate yourself from everybody, Winston. That's it. That'll get you some job security. Yeah. <laughs> Smart guy. I find it interesting that they let them in jail with the blueprints. Don't they take everything from you? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, otherwise it would have just been everybody talking about it. And I love how interested the prisoners are, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> everybody gathers around like, what's going on here? No. Hey. Nobody ever made them like that. I mean, the Is the most scientific thing than gets. Yeah. I love that because it kind of makes you wonder how long they've known each other. Yeah. Because from the exchange in front of the, the campus after they get fired, where it's like, you've never been out of college, it makes me think that, that they met working at Columbia. Yeah. Where. He, you know, saying, like, I've worked in the private sector and they expect results. It almost makes you think, I mean, I assume anyway, that they met working at Columbia oh. and then eventually started working together. This to believe that they've known each other since way back. Yeah, exactly. Which leaves so many open doors, though, for exploration when it comes to furthering the storyline, if it means a third and a fourth one or whatever. There's so many directions they could go, and not a prequel though. Jesus, no oh, prequels. Well, that wouldn't make sense. Well, yeah, because they didn't start the business, but you yeah. know how it goes. There could always be something where it's like one of them's haunted as a child, and they, they go the paranormal activity route. Yeah, <laughs> be like the third movie. We're gonna talk about what happened in the last two movies. <laughs> the true origin of it. I love it. Society's too sick to survive as all the prisoners are closing in. <laughs> I mean, this is pre-internet. Tobin Spirit Guy was the go-to source. <laughs> That's the only New York-sounding uh, line Egon has. May actually happen. He he speaks actually like like Bill Murray in that yeah. in that part because Bill Murray has that certain accent. Egon's serious nature. I love it. Yeah. Carl Winslow. Yeah, he who, is. Who, who was also in Die Hard. Yeah, who played a cop in Die Hard, a cop in this, and was a cop in Family Matters. First movie appearance, though. A little fun fact for you people at home. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's so funny, he is such a bit part, too. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Ghostbusters. Mayor wants to see it. See, when they show the building from the outside, they, they don't pan all the way up to the roof because obviously the roof was added optically. Not the roof, but the top couple of floors. That's why they pan up out to the middle of the building. Now, do they get it on? Or, uh, or what happens? Do they wait till they go upstairs? Is that way they're all laid out, like post-coitus on that uh, big concrete table <laughs> later on in, in the movie? And that's not something I really wondered about until... <laughs> until recently, yeah, or until I brought it up just now? 
Yeah, just now. Actually. Oh, okay. No, well, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, Chris, I never thought about anything. No, it's not even one of those kind of like sexual innuendos where when I was a kid, I was like, damn. Did something just happen there? Or yeah. Like, why are they in a daze? <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't pick yeah. up on it. But for as aggressive as she was thinking Venkman was the key master, she's not nearly that aggressive with Lewis, obviously. So it seems a little... That's another thing that's a little inexplicable. Here we are. Is it Gracie Hall? What do they call it? Gracie Mansion. Gracie Mansion. Thank you. Oh, the Ghostbusters. <laughs> it's so interesting that they never met him at this point because of how much, obviously, attention they were getting yeah. prior to all this. And I awesome. love him as the mayor. He is, oh, he's brilliant. He embodies awesome. every mayor that you've he's ever known awesome. for New York. Yeah, he's perfect casting. He's like a young Ed Koch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's the only time Ray has... Puts any kind of jab towards anybody in the movie. Yeah. This man has his face. He must have a real short eyes. Like this is really unproductive, guys. Yeah, it's like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Can we be professionals here? And I'm the new guy. Yeah. He has a real short fuse for Venkman, just for no reason. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the funny part. For whatever reason, he just can't stand Venkman. That was another line that was. Uh, changed for TV as well. It was Wally that was Wick. Shot. It was yeah, Wally Wick here. That's what that's what Ray says instead. <laughs> that the face Megan makes. <laughs> the Cardinal shows up. That's great. That was so funny. The face yeah. is like, oh. like, like kind of like shocking. Like like on. look at this. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Such a Catholic thing to do, yeah. Jack. A priest with a sense of humor. <laughs> I like that too. I wonder if that was a conscious thing where he says, "I should, what am I supposed to call it? Press conference and tell the city to start praying. And the second one, so do I call it press conference and tell everybody to be nice to each other? Yeah. I wonder if that was a conscious thing to kind of reference. Yeah. Like pay homage to the first movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> shit that'll turn you white. Mr. Pecker. <laughs> Most people miss that because they're still laughing at it. I've seen shit that'll turn you white. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that was improv, right? That, that um, the, probably the I don't know that to be a fact, but I'm sure it was. It seems like something Bill Murray would just say. Yeah, anyway. like he pulled that out of his ass. Yeah. I love it. I wish Bill Murray made more. I mean, I guess just movies. Period. He's just been in this weird kind of indie mode lately. Like he Lost in Translation kind of helped to, I guess, uh, relaunch him a bit because it was a successful movie and. Then he had broken flowers a short time later, and then he's done. Yeah. Like, he did the uh, like that was the start of his like real indie phase. And then he was, yeah, like, like he did the, the Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Life Aquatic, yeah. yeah, like all this weird stuff. Yeah, like obscure. He just did a movie too with uh, Robert Duvall. I forget what it's called. Get Low. What? Get Low. Get Low. Yeah. Is it really? Is yeah. that the name of it? He fakes his. Own, he he plays the Undertaker, where Robert Duvall fakes his own death. Oh, he's okay. The Undertaker who gets schemed. Who, who goes ahead with the scheme? Yeah, I mean the closest money off of it. The yeah. closest thing he he's done to comedy 
I mean, if you can qualify Garfield, is Zombieland. Yeah. It's a cameo in Zombieland, which is absolutely the very brilliant. Best part of that movie. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of strong parts of that movie, there were but a lot of strong I absolutely parts, but that made love the whole thing. For and, me. I, and I did not see that coming at all when we watched no. that movie the first time. And Zombieland to me is a complete homage to Ghostbusters or horror comedies mm-hmm. in the modern days. Brilliant. Yeah, and Emma Stone was fucking brilliant. With her, with her Janine with impression. Janine. It's awesome. <laughs> yes. <That was> absolutely. <laughs> she had the, the big glasses on. <laughs> Oh, I always thought this movie had a very obscure soundtrack to it. Yeah. <laughs> this red-haired guy is so bizarre. He's always, like, jumping around and screaming. Yeah. The guy on the right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the later, he's like, uh, you know who he looks like? He looks like the, the red-headed guy who's secretly gay in American Psycho. That's what he reminds me of. Oh, yeah. You know who I'm talking about? Uh-huh. Jack probably hasn't seen that movie because it's rated R, but... Oh, sure. He, um, <laughs> I have, actually. Have you? Okay. On TV. Oh, Jesus... Jack, what? Go outside. You go outside, Mister Pale Complexion. Whatever. I was you a kid. I was a kid then. White. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the glare of the TV on my on my skin. I totally forgot to point out, by the way, if you and it completely got by me, but now seeing the the barricades again just reminded me that when they shut down the grid and things start exploding, they run up to the street. You see on the left hand side of the screen, Ron Jeremy is one of the extras. What a shock they don't point it out in any of the, yeah. <laughs> in the, the commentaries or in cyber mode on the, on the Blu-ray yeah, ever version. Ever since I found that out, I tried looking for them, but for some reason I can never pick them out. I'll have to run it back and, and show you guys. Is there like one of those things where if you blink, you miss it? Or you have to like... It's a few seconds. It? I mean, you can see it's obviously him because he has the... What's dubbed, let's say, a Jufro and the mustache. I mean, you can tell yeah. it's him by looking at him, but yeah. it's not an obvious thing where he's standing there and they're like... Hey kids, it's Ron Jeremy. Yeah, <laughs> like they want to advertise. It's not something they made a big deal yeah. about. That's probably why, obviously, the <laughs> filmmakers in the commentary didn't point it out either, or maybe they just didn't know. Yeah, but it's clearly Ron Jeremy. But he's standing to the left of one of the barricades. Yeah, and now it's Los Angeles again. The other, the rival uh, exterior shots. Yeah, this is a soundstage. The the arrival uh, exterior shots. So that was all New York, and now if you look, see they're only showing it. A certain section of the the front of the apartment building, which this is freaky too. Just think about a building collapsing before your very eyes. Yeah, yeah. The streets cracking. I mean, if you think about it, if that actually happened in real life, that would that would freak you out. It would freak me out. Yeah, this part <laughs> was uh, was pretty crazy. And then it just stops. <laughs> yeah, it just stops suddenly, and they're okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I hope I didn't spoil it for anyone. Yeah. <laughs> In case you saw the box art or anything, I wonder where the image of them walking through smoke came from. Yeah, that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> it's so great, too, that everybody obviously shows up, and they're the heroes. Before anything even happens, everyone's just treating them like heroes. I, I love that, because it's a real... I don't want to say it's exactly a rags-to-riches story, but it's like... Let's say let's say outcasts in as much as they get fired from their job at the university. And then they become these heroes. Yeah. And then obviously the dynamic shifts drastically when we pick it up five years later in the second one, but we'll talk about that more. And it's like everyone loves the second like only a small fraction of these people yeah, are see, that affected cr- by any kind of super. And that crowd's so small now because now they're filming it on the soundstage. <laughs> they realize that this is their only hope. Yeah. Maybe their only hope. 
Yeah, well, this is this is really their time to shine, and they recognize it because this is obviously the biggest thing that has happened. Somebody get me the Ghostbusters. <laughs> I don't love that. There's that big victorious moment where they're like leaving a huddle, like walking into battle, and they go in the building, and then there's this awesome comedic scene where it's just like, oh, <laughs> where they're all out of shape. <laughs> yeah. Where are we? With Florian. All right, that bump in the table, if the mic picked that up, was uh, Ryan looking at uh, the sultry Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you see these two, like, George Washington-like monuments. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't suggestive at all. No, no, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that makes you wonder, like, did something happen when you see the two of them just kind of laying there? Like, why did they go... Yeah. Why'd they go up to the roof and pass out? <laughs> Why is his belt open? <laughs> yeah, they never address yeah. it. But it's clear that they banged. Eh, well, I guess well, it is, now. yeah. Like, in my mind, it's very clear that... So Oscar is, is Lewis's kid? Yeah, she, she, had, <laughs> she had her way with him, definitely. She could take him. He's a little guy. Oh, yeah. See, look at him again. He's like, oh, look at that. And the big he, door he, that's like, gonna open. Up, he has that kind of like, oh man, that was good look on his face. Yeah, he does with his hair being all messed up and yeah, all. It's just yeah, like sex hair. They're <laughs> <laughs> adding that to the Urban Dictionary. Yeah. Well, I don't think she was too keen on staying there in the first place. I could be wrong. Yeah, traffic's not moving. Nothing. It's obviously a art piece. I'm guessing. And this is one of those scenes from, from what they said in the commentary. Sorry to double up, folks. I really wasn't <laughs> hoping to reference the, the commentary, but not but a lot of people aren't into that kind of thing. If you are, bless you, because you're listening to us instead of listening to the filmmakers. But the dialogue is also tossed up around a lot with the actors. Like it was, They kind of uh, chatted about it before even doing this scene as far as who's going to say where these stairs go, they go up. There's one of those things where they were just they were sharing the funny dialogue, which is... Which is great. It's that camaraderie they have. And obviously they'd all worked together before. Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray worked together on Saturday Night Live. And obviously Bill Murray and Howard Ramis worked together at Stripes. And makes total sense. Oh, and Howard Ramis did Caddyshack as well. So I should say those are two big boys. Now watch. up Coming up here, it looks like Bill Murray screams Dana. See? Right there. When the lights go out. Like he says right there. Yeah. That's freaky watching a, a woman in orange dress turn into a dog. Anyway, getting back to like an hour and a half ago, and also about how much of a director Harold Ramis was in his own right. Yeah, he didn't have Caddyshack in National Lampoon's Vacation. So he could have just gone on directing. But that's how strong an idea this was that he's like, I need to be part of this. And he's just such a perfect and who fit. Else, was there anybody else in mind for Egon? I don't know, actually. I'm not sure. I could say off the top of my head. And do we know how uh, Ernie Hudson was picked? Did he audition, or did someone just say, you know what, it's not going to be Eddie Murphy, so... <laughs> That's a good question. We should find that out and talk about that in the commentary for Ghostbusters too. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to be silly and try and figure that out right now. That'd no. be weird. Let's talk about what's going on on the screen. Yeah. Yeah, and the idea for Gozer... A lot of stuff, obvious statements. Yeah. Well, because Gozer... I mean, yeah, you assume it would be a man or... Whatever it wants. And that's how they address that. It's whatever it wants yeah. to be. 
<laughs> then I'm Michael Murray's face right here just because he slow turned, kind of the, the grin on his face. He gives him the nod. Yeah, him. like sure, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> Which is exactly what we make Jack do in a situation like this. Oh, without a doubt. If it was the three yeah. of us and Andrew oh, on a rooftop, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> someone's got to go talk to her. Oh, oh, does someone mean Jack? Yeah. That's our big joke. Anytime we refer to the, when we use the pronoun someone. Yeah, it tends to be Jack. I would have ran down the stairs and hid. Like, Jack, there's no spiders up on this roof. Don't worry. Just dogs. And they're not pugs. It's fine. Yeah, that's very much like your encouragement. Go ahead, Jack. Just say. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, there's so many things because, like, again, I look, I take great pride again? in the fact that I do like this character. <laughs> but, um,. Just the little mistakes that Ray would make, I could see myself making if I was. This, oh yeah. If I would miss this yeah. Character. Oh yeah. Like, oh, I'm not. Like, I'm not a god. We could see it too. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I'm not a god. Yeah. Are you a god? Sure. And I'd give you the nod. And be like, yeah. And this is one of Tell my her. favorite lines in the whole Ray. movie. Winston. <laughs> and I could see Andrew yelling that. Yes. At me too. That really sold me on How I Met Your Mother. Me too. In the first episode. Yeah. That. The first episode that of How I Met Your Mother reference was how I fell in love with that show. Yes, <laughs> and Kobe Smolders as well. As well, yes. And this is the first time you actually get to see the four, or well, the only time in the movie you get to see the four of them in action. Mm -hmm. Because it always seems like they go out in pairs to handle jobs, judging by when obviously you see Ray and Winston driving back to the to headquarters that morning before yeah. Dickless shows up, <laughs> and then when Winston gets hired, it's it's Pete and Ray showing up. At, Headquarters after completing a job. Yeah, no. So yeah, seeing the Murray's New York awesome. accent really came out then. He was like, "Let's show this prehistoric bitch how we do things downtown." Mm -hmm. Like you can really hear that kind of like Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a bit of that. Yeah. Hey, for the flat top, I love <laughs> that. Well, that wasn't such a chore, now was it? He just disappeared. Mm. We neutralized it. They apparently had rubber packs that they wore as well, which didn't look as real. But these fully loaded packs that they're wearing now, they're actually they actually weighed like thirty pounds. Yeah, they look like they'd be pretty heavy. <laughs> yeah, they look overall like they're made Most of metal. Most props, yeah. they made duplicates of them, make some rubbers, some plastic, some the real metal material stuff like that. So there's real ones though with the lights on the back and all. It's one of those terrible overdubs that you can see they added in, like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and when when the ghosts are bursting out of the roof of, of headquarters and Bill Murray's like, whoa. He's putting his head down and shielding his eyes. This would scare the shit out of me if I was on the street where I'm like, the building's yeah. collapsing yeah, from the top down. Yeah. yeah, you're waiting to see when the rocks crush somebody. And nobody's yeah. getting hurt. No cars are getting hit. Yeah, exactly. It's just these like, styrofoam rocks are falling everywhere. Missing everyone. No. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's an officer barbering. All right, move along, people. Nothing to see yeah, here. Yeah, that's exactly what you'd expect. <laughs> what do you mean, shoot? We don't understand. And this inevitable choice would also be a very Jack-like thing to do. Jack would I, easily I, pick I, something from a cartoon. I would probably, yes. <laughs> Your brain would easily go to... You you probably think of a Ghostbuster. <laughs> yeah, probably. Realistically, you would. Or you think of E.T. Yes. And then there'd be like a, a like a 25-story E.T. that shows up. 
Even the expression on and his you face. You can see the very moment oh, where fuck. it happens. <laughs> yeah. Where the choice is made. Like, oh shit, what did I do? Yeah. And just the way he's backing up nervously, like just just like a Dan Aykroyd. Right? Like, awesome. Yeah, I like uh, it was me. And the way they slowly I turn and look at him. Yeah, and that's exactly how that was. Yeah, I would try to throw my head like, oh fuck. Um, um, <laughs> Barney the dinosaur. Well, oh and no. I, <laughs> yeah. What? Like, uh, Jack, he was already sent to destroy the world <laughs> back in the nineties. <90s>. Yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly how I would address you as well. <laughs> I do that on mic sometimes. What, Jack? What is it? <laughs> and I love how when he when he confirms it, it's just so matter of fact, like. It's the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Yeah. <laughs> Ray has gone bye-bye, Egon. <laughs> this was something they were so nervous about in the early screenings of the movie, too. Is that Ivan Reitman was like, this is how my movie ends with a giant marshmallow man. <laughs> and they were so worried that people were just going to think the movie, like, like this was the jump the shark moment where like, oh, now they're just reaching yeah but people they, were cheering when they saw that head bobbing in between the buildings and when it finally so came awesome. out but they know it's yeah. so absurd too yeah oh of course i'm 95 percent sure when i was a kid and i was watching the muppet babies cartoon that at one point they used this scene as somehow they cut it into the cartoon because i think sony owned the muppets at that point because the, the muppet movies they cut in with a lot of old movies on the Muppet Babies cartoon, so it was probably... Well, that's true. Well, since I believe Sony owned the Muppets, because Sony put out the, the the big three movies in the Muppet movie, Muppet State Manhattan, The Great Muppet Caper. So, <laughs> nice thinking, right? I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if that actually happened, but I thought I remember seeing that. and That may have been my, the first time I saw the Marshmallow Man and thought, what the hell is that from? Here's another one of those moments where... <laughs> Egon's mouth is not moving at all, but it's yeah. a great line. <laughs> I'm terrified beyond the capacity of rational thought. <laughs> and oh, like, oh no! Pocket. <laughs> I love that Peck is there for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> Just hanging out, even though he's thrown out of Gracie Mansion. Now look how close he is there. Yeah. And how far away he is oh, now. He is it looks now. like they're way up on the roof. Yeah. That's another one of those continuity things I look at. Where I'm like, or even when he starts climbing up the building. Like, see the flames. It looks yeah. like he's so close. But it looks like he's a third of the height of the building. I mean, whatever. I'm sure it's something they all notice. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone who worked on the movie. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Funny us going out like this. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think that joke was in there either. And it is a radical idea, folks. This is such an awesome finality of this movie, though. Yeah. Just doing the one thing, I mean, I guess maybe you could say it's a cliche, but just doing the one thing you're not supposed to do the whole movie, yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is what's going to save us. <laughs> you can see the lines where they break right here, and that, that salary that he just... Kind of spouty that. It's surprising that they wouldn't pay someone more than that. Well, he said it, how much they charge. Another five a year, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then the clarity, you can really see. I don't remember ever being able to see the, the streams this clearly and actually see them intertwine. Yeah, this looks like so pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, like I have to say, the remastering they did. This is the great. And here's a giant explosion which easily would have killed uh, all the humans. Yeah. <laughs> yet they survive. <laughs> I mean, I guess the theory is that the marshmallow that they're covered with. These flame retardant, <laughs> flame retardant marshmallow. <laughs> <laughs> so they're protected, and Venkman just found a rock tod behind. But he, I mean, but he that didn't the explode. Marshmallow man went up in flames when they started shooting him. Like, you know. Yeah, exactly. So, and of course, Tech <laughs> gets the worst of it. I love the the quick like at the yeah. end of this. You can't even tell. That's one thing what he's I saying. You can barely tell what he's saying. Yeah. What is he saying? Until I read that, I hate you, Venkman. Uh, or Venkman, trivia, I, hate you. I, I didn't even know what he was saying. Yeah, exactly. I but they, they, like, ah, nah, nah. apparently they added that in though because nobody knew it was Peck or it was too quick for people to realize it was him. But I always thought it was pretty clear that it was him. I always thought too, even yeah. as a kid, I always thought, oh, yeah. it's Peck. He's getting his, his comeuppance, mm -hmm. yeah. as it were. That's another kind of a notorious story where they had, I think it was seventy-five pounds because this is all shaving cream. Yes, and you can tell it's they, Gillette. Yeah, you can, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's like Barbasol cans. They just sprayed everybody down, <laughs> which sounds... is flame retardant. Um, but anyway, uh, they had a big bag with seventy-five pounds of this hanging above him, and his whole thing was he likened it to oh, what moves more: seventy-five pounds of lead or seventy-five pounds of feathers. So he was like, "Is this gonna hurt?" Yeah. And, and everyone was like, ah, no big deal. almost got knocked over by it. Well, what happened was they put a stunt guy under it and dropped it on him, and it flattened the stunt guy. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they basically halved it and then dumped it on. And here's where Dan Aykroyd's Canadian accent comes it out. Comes right Beckman, out. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> that's not a New York accent, folks. Yeah. But then again, that's it really could the work. the only time where it's really glaring in the movie where you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ray he's seems like America's he, hat. He, he, <laughs> America's hat. It seems like he could have been from like the Midwest though, because of Ray's like friendliness. Yeah. He doesn't seem like a New Yorker. Venkman seems like a, a skeptical New Yorker mm -hmm. in many ways. So I could see I could see Ray being like a, some kind of like Midwestern kind of everyman who is just a nerd. Mm. And here's something else that isn't doesn't really get explained that you may or may not expect where it's like, oh, her body's in, in complete shape and just there's a burnt dog in the outside. Of her. <laughs> I mean, it's great and it, it works because you don't know exactly what happens. Yeah. Like I said, you don't have to get eaten or they, they fuse with each other or what. Who the hell knows? And such a Lewis Tully thing too. <laughs> Who are yeah. you guys with Ghostbusters? Who does your taxes? Like, no interest in what they do at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, no real further questioning about what yeah. happened, yeah. except for the first time he asks. Pretty much. Mm -hmm. Pretty much. Oh. Hi. How weird it must have been though for her to wake up from getting pulled into her kitchen, and then her next moment of consciousness. Like imagine falling asleep at that moment, and then yeah. you wake up and you're an exploded. Like demolished roof, yeah. where the superintendent's gonna be pissed, which is yeah. just another thing. It's, even though Lewis is such a small part, you just think I think of it as something that's just such a Lewis Tully thing to say. Yeah. And I wonder if that's something real. I've never looked that up, but I'm curious. Yeah. <laughs> And then, of course, the triumphant exit. 
Isn't that Ivan Reitman right there? In the crowd? Uh, I don't know. I didn't notice. I thought you might have known, Jack. Uh, he's in the credits. The walking IMDB. Yeah, there's his name, Jack. Does that help? <laughs> Is that quite the same thing? I absolutely love this movie. What can I say? I've said it's great and awesome and everything I love about it for the last hour and 40 minutes, so and I think it's pretty clear to everybody. They're triumph now, but as soon as this movie ends, you can kind of see where it leads into the second film, that things don't really go so well. Yeah, things don't pan hour. out after this. Yeah. There's no heroes welcome. Yeah, not even slightly. Oh, Lewis. <laughs> the last one to come out <laughs> to emerge from the wreckage of uh, the largest interdimensional cross. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not eyewitness. You were, you were possessed. I want to go with them in the car. That's great too. It's all the little, all the little lines just really do it for me. See, Winston's so new, he needs help taking the pack off. <laughs> Poor guy. All right, guys. Final thoughts on the first Ghostbusters movie? Tremendous. Really? Not fantastic. Fantastically tremendous. Yeah. <laughs> I have that shirt. That sounds like you. And tremendous. It is. You agree? Yeah. Fantastic and tremendous. Mm -hmm. It is one of the classic comedies. I can never get tired of this movie. Mm -hmm. Like it still gets better and better every time I see it. Oh yeah, I've seen this. It was announced in, I want to say like earlier mid September that they were doing the screenings for Halloween in and October. You know what I did like about it? Even though I expected more people to be at those screenings, I kind of liked that it was a pretty small crowd and everyone was laughing at the yeah, Everyone was a fan. Yeah, we it was. That was the great yeah. thing about seeing the Back to the Future screening. Jack and I went to. Uh, in October 2010 was because it was all fans. I mean, the theater was packed. Yeah. But it was also Saturday afternoon. The Ghostbusters screenings were on a Thursday night, randomly. Yeah. But, like, you're, you're surrounded by fans, people walking in, most of them having seen the movie already, and everybody just enjoying it together, just to be among, just to be among fellow fans was awesome. Mm -hmm. And same thing with seeing the Ghostbusters movies. Yeah. The emergence of Slimer. Blue and Ross, they did a little slime splatter on the screen or something, but yeah. Yeah. maybe not. Maybe it was appropriate to just fade to black and like, oh, he's still out there. Mm -hmm. Such a bizarre soundtrack, yeah, too. It is, yeah. It's a really weird collection of, you got this song, and then you've got the weird kind of new wavy, keyboard-laden songs. Because this is the stuff that you hear on the radio. Like, a lot of it seems to be specifically written for the movie. I'm going to go with the contents of the song, lyrically. Like, it's not yeah. anything that was just... You know, popular radio. <laughs> exactly. I, I have a feeling this was based on uh, Dan Aykroyd's love of, let's say, rhythm and blues music. This must have been his choice <laughs> yeah. to get the Bus Boys, <laughs> because actually, I think weren't they the band in Forty Eight Hours who were playing in the yes. bar? Was that yeah, the Bus were. Boys? Those Bus Boys. Ha ha! <laughs> just saying the name out loud for some reason reinforced it for me. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this commentary. Please join us for the Ghostbusters 2 commentary whenever you get the chance, because it's going to be just as fun and enjoyable and laughable, and uh, even more factoids from all of us, especially Jack. So, until next time, this is Chris. This is Ryan. And this is Jack. Thanks for listening to another edition of The Only Commentary That Matters. Hey again, everybody. It's Chris. Before you go, I just ran back the movie to check for Ron Jeremy, and if you go to... One hour, eight minutes, and 22 seconds. He's standing behind the barricade. Clear as day on the left-hand side. So check that out if you want. Tune in to another commentary.
Thanks for listening.